Will you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, and the guys have some Bibles, that's why they're coming up front here, and then they're going to make their way toward the back to get a Bible to anybody who needs one, just get their attention. Those Bibles are marked at Acts chapter 6, and those Bibles are a gift from us to you. We want everybody to own a copy of God's Word, and we want you to be able to follow along as we look at Acts chapter 6 today. Last week, our first Lord's Day in this new facility was a joyous occasion for our congregation. We did no advertising, and we had over 300 in attendance. And we can see the possibilities for reaching our community, advancing the mission that God has for us with the resources that God has provided, both the building and the acreage that accompanies it as well. We look forward to even this summer being able to have for the first time a vacation Bible school, for instance. And I exulted along with you at God's goodness at bringing us here and bringing this first phase of our project to a close. And most of us rejoiced at the news given last week that we've been awarded a $700,000 grant, a gift from a foundation to expand our worship area. The entire week, last Sunday service was being rewound in my mind, as I'm sure it did for many of you. And I many times breathed a prayer of thanks to God for what He has done. So now what? How do we go forward from here? Well, we just put our shingle out there and people will come and get saved and grow in Christ and we'll all love each other, God will be glorified, and we'll live happily ever after. Now, I actually think all of that's going to happen, but not automatically. It's not automatic because the Bible is full of cautionary tales about what can happen as God's mission advances. And so I, I want to take time at this very early stage of our ministry in this place to, along with Scripture, issue that warning. And I do not do that because we have a problem, but because we are not above having a problem. I think one of the principles that God has honored over the years in our ministry is our insistence on addressing issues before they occur. We have tried as much as is possible in looking at what Scripture has to say and our own observations and experience to address issues before they happen, putting safeguards in place as much as is possible to, for example, ensure that we have a process that determines who can be in leadership in our church so that only biblically qualified men and their wives lead our ministry. Preventive medicine is, of course, the best kind. I know we would all agree. And since the Bible records and experience shows that Christians are adept, including Christians like us, we are all adept at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, then it's good for us to be reminded of the potential pitfalls that can occur after milestones like this are reached. And so, most of you know we've been going through the book of James. We took a break from the book of James for our first service last week, and I'm taking a second week break next week, and the week or two after that we will finish in chapter 5 of the book of James. 
And I did debate as to whether or not to issue this call in this message. But I decided that if we wait even a few months, there may indeed have developed a problem, and then it appears reactive rather than what I intend this to be, proactive, addressing issues that occur before they happen. And friends, the reason that this is so very vitally important is that the local church is the means by which God's mission advances in His world. And God cares deeply about the health of His church. And as a result of a church being healthy, in turn, that church grows and God's mission is advanced. But that's not what is happening in many of our churches throughout our land. According to the Institute for Biblical Leadership, the church in America is stagnating and in decline. The data is compelling. The Barna Group states that no more than 10% of American churches can be described as highly effective. World Magazine has recently highlighted the high number of churches closing or about to close their doors. One author states that more than 3,500 churches die each year in this country. God cares about the health and the growth of His church. So much so that He issues these cautionary tales, these warnings about what can happen even when the mission is advancing. And so He records the advance of His mission and what happened to the first church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. And notice verse 1 of chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. So in the days, as the number of disciples is increasing, a problem arises. What a great surprise that is. Let's ask God then to help us as we glean His wisdom from His Word in order for us to move forward together. Father, we stand before you, as always, completely needy. We need the wisdom that only you can supply. We need your spirit to move upon our hearts. We need you to open our minds so that we listen to what you've said and so that application is made to our own hearts so that together we can be knit together to move forward, as it were, as one man in Christ to carry on your work. We ask that you would grant this request in this service. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have an outline for you supplied in your program. I encourage you to take a look there. And I say in the outline, first of all, Acts chapter 6 teaches us that growing churches face obstacles. Growing churches face obstacles. And we have just read in verse 1 of Acts chapter 6, This is a growing church, as we will see in the city of Jerusalem. In the days when the number of disciples was increasing, this problem arises. And that is because growing churches face obstacles. Now, I'd like to spend some time to document the first part of that sentence, growing churches. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 6 says, This occurred in the days when the number of disciples was increasing. So clearly it was growing. But I want you to have a flavor for the kind of growth that had taken place in the first church in Jerusalem and, in fact, why that growth was taking place. 
And it goes back to Jesus' last command, his final command to his first followers. That command is recorded for us in at least three places in Scripture. The most famous of those, most well-known, is in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus, before he ascends back to the Father, says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So Jesus has completed his work on earth. He now gives these final instructions to his first followers. And we are going to see then the beginning and the fulfillment of those words, that command, uh, in the lives of the apostles, Jesus' first followers. Now when we see that, we're going to see one of the words in this passage again. And I want you to note it, circle it, underline it, just remember it. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, and then he says, baptizing them. That word, baptizing. Just remember it, underline it, write it down, because we're going to see it again in just a bit. Now, the most well-known version of Jesus' final instructions to his follower, first followers is in Matthew 28, as we just read, but it's not the only one. Luke, one of the first four books of your New Testament, is in a section called the Gospels. They deal with the life and ministry of Jesus when he walked the earth. And Luke records Jesus' final words to his first followers as well in Luke chapter 24. And Luke tells us, Jesus said, Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now Luke tells us some additional information. He tells us not that just a proclamation is going to occur, but he gives us the content of that proclamation. It will include repentance and forgiveness of sins. And just as I ask you to remember the word baptizing from Matthew 28, I'm asking you to remember those two matters as well, repentance and forgiveness of sins. We will see those again in just a bit. So Luke tells us this will be the content of the preaching that will occur as the mission is advanced. Repentance, forgiveness of sins, and he gives another piece of information. It's going to start in the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus tells those first followers, now go and stay in the city until you receive power from on high. What city is that? Jerusalem, because that's where it's going to begin. Now, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but Luke also wrote a companion volume in your New Testament. You have turned to it in Acts chapter 6. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but then he wrote a sequel to pick up where he left off. He ended the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24 with Jesus' final instructions to his first followers. Now he's going to pick up where he left off with the fifth book in your New Testament, the book of Acts. And Luke says this, The first account I composed, that is the Gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I never read that phrase without just making a quick comment. Notice, it's all that Jesus began to do, implying that Jesus still has work he's doing. And so I wrote my first account, the Gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
Jesus said to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so this is the scene now as the book of Acts begins. Jesus has given these instructions. You are going to preach to all nations. You're going to baptize them. What you're going to preach is repentance and forgiveness of sins. You are to go to the city of Jerusalem because the mission is going to begin there and you are to wait until you receive the power to start what I've assigned to you. And that's where we find them when the book of Acts opens. We come to Acts chapter 2 and the Bible tells us when the day of Pentecost had fully come. That's Luke's way of telling us they had been there for about, 43, for about a week. 43 of the 50 days between Passover and the celebration of Pentecost had already occurred. They had been waiting for about a week for this power in Jerusalem. And then the Bible records that the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were able to speak in tongues that they had not learned. Remember that this mission is going to go to all nations. And the Bible tells us that there were Jews from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And they were there hearing men speak in their own languages, thus fulfilling Jesus' command that this is going to go to all nations. And after this has occurred, Peter stands up, one of Jesus' first followers, and he gives an explanation beginning in verse 14 of Acts chapter 2, all the way down to verse 36. And after he gives this explanation, those who heard his explanation replied this way in verse 37 of Acts 2. When they heard this, that is Peter's explanation, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Now, you all have seen the word repent. We saw it in Luke chapter 24, did we not? This is going to be the proclamation of the message of the Great Commission that is going to advance Jesus' fame in His world. Repent. And each of you be baptized. You've seen that before as well. Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And we saw that in Luke chapter 24. Also, repentance and forgiveness of sins. So you have all of the elements of what we call the Great Commission right here in Acts chapter 2. You can see very clearly, and Luke is very careful to show us, that the mission that Jesus gave is starting right now on this day with this event. Now, what we also need to understand is what else started at that time on that day. The Great Commission clearly started at that time. But what else started? Something else very important. The thing that also started simultaneous with the beginning of the mission is the church. Now, how do we know that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 in your Bible says, that one enters the church when one is baptized by the Spirit. We were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. That is the, the church. So when you come to Christ, you receive His Spirit, and you are spiritually baptized into the church, teaches Scripture. That's when you become a member of the church universal. 
We're all baptized by one spirit into one body. But when did that baptism to bring people into the church first occur? Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 1, Luke records Jesus as saying this, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So while they're waiting in Jerusalem for the power to come, Jesus says in a few days this baptism is going to occur. John baptized with water, but this is going to be a different kind of of baptism. And this was the first time that this spirit baptism had occurred. How do we know that? Because later, the same Peter who stood up on the day of Pentecost and gave this explanation is is in another city, and he has preached the gospel to another group of people. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and Peter gives an explanation there, and here's what Peter says. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he he did upon us. Now notice this phrase, at the beginning. So the day of Pentecost was the beginning of the spirit baptism. And it is the spirit baptism that brings one into the church. So in Acts chapter 2, you have the beginning of the Great Commission and the beginning of the church at exactly the same time. We're going to see that Jesus' mission, his great commission, moves forward only as his church moves forward. The mission advances only as the church advances. And Luke sets out to document that in 28 chapters of the book of Acts. And as he documents that expansion of the mission through the church, he gives seven reports of progress, seven progress reports. I'm going to quickly bounce through those with you. Our passage, Acts chapter 6, actually contains one of those progress reports. The first is in chapter 2 and verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then chapter 6 and verse 7 says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In Acts chapter 9, he says, The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. In chapter 12, he says, The word of God continued to increase and spread. Chapter 16, the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Chapter 19, the sixth of these seven progress reports, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And then the final two verses of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts, he says this, for two whole years Paul stayed there and there is in the capital of the empire in Rome. In his own rented house, welcomed all who came to see him boldly without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Luke, in 28 chapters, shows the advance of the mission, beginning in Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the then-known world, to the capital of the empire in Rome. And all of it happened through the advance of the church that started at the same time that the mission began on the day of Pentecost. God cares about the growth of His church because God cares about the advance of His mission. And His mission goes forward only as His church goes forward. And that's why Paul would say pray. Pray for Him and His ministry. 
Pray that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. God cares about the advance. And that means God cares about the increase of his church to go to the regions beyond. But not just quantity. God cares about quality. Because Acts chapter 6 and verse 1 says, verse 1, In those days when the number, now notice, of disciples was increasing. Remember Jesus' command in Matthew 28 is go and make what? Make disciples. The Great Commission is not simply about securing professions of faith. It is making disciples. Who in Matthew 28, Jesus says, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So it is not just securing professions of faith, but rather making disciples. If we're serious about the Great Commission then our churches must be serious about having an intentional process of discipling those that God brings to Himself. Many of you have been with us for a period of time, and you know that we have an intentional process designed to do that. And If you have not been with us for a while, we encourage you to attend. Next time we have our Newcomers Orientation, that's a four-week series that I do. We'll be doing that in a few weeks and announcing it for you. It's at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and we explain how that process goes. And so you can see that Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in the days when the number of disciples was increasing, you see that indeed the disciples were increasing, that God cares about that, that God's church is advancing. It's integrally attached to the advance of His, his mission, But then that first phrase in verse 1 tells us that they encountered obstacles. Growing churches encounter obstacles. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And again, a problem arises while the church is on the advance. None of us should be surprised at that. But we should be warned because of that. The truth is, friends, there will always be potential obstacles to the advance of the mission. Some of those obstacles will be external in the form of persecution. Thankfully, we are blessed to live in America free from physical persecution. But some obstacles will be internal as we see here in Acts chapter 6. But make no mistake, as the Lord's work advances, there will be problems to be overcome. The apostles, as responsible leaders, handled the problem. And what was the problem? (laughs) Complaining. You know, it wasn't that somebody shot somebody. It wasn't a capital crime had been committed. It's not that it was an unserious matter. They took it seriously, as they should have. But this problem that arose was complaining. Now, just a cursory reading of your Bible. Am I right? Just a cursory reading of your Bible. God, over and over and over again, warns about the destructive effects of murmuring and complaining, does He not? Do you not see it over and over again in the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, and the history of God's people? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. Do everything without complaining. And yet, in the days when the number of disciples was increasing, a complaint. 
Now, what was the history of that complaint? The Jerusalem church was, as you might expect, Jewish. But there were two groups of Jews in Jerusalem. There were native Jews, and then there were what were called Hellenistic Jews, or Grecian Jews, as the NIV says. The native Jews were those who lived in Palestine. They spoke Aramaic. They used the Hebrew Bible. The Hellenistic, or the Grecian Jews, were those whose families were part of the dispersion. There were people who, because of persecution by the Romans, had been moved out of the confines of Jerusalem. But for various reasons, they had returned to Jerusalem, perhaps for the feasts. Remember, this occurs after Pentecost. And they decided to stay, perhaps because they're convinced the Lord Jesus is going to return very soon. The New Testament uh, first Christians believed they were going to, the Lord was going to return in their lifetime. And so that he was going to return, as the Bible says, to Jerusalem. And so they decided to return and die in the holy city or to see the Lord return there. But in any case, they spoke Greek. They used a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the Grecian or Hellenistic Jews may have lived on the outskirts of Jerusalem and thus had a more difficult time receiving the distribution of food that would occur. And daily, there was a distribution of food to widows, a daunting task, if you consider the numbers of this church. We're told that the number of disciples was increasing. Well, increasing from what? You all remember in Acts chapter 2, we're told on the day of Pentecost, when the church began, when the mission began, 3,000 people were saved that one day. 3,000 in that church. Chapter 4 and verse 4 says it went up to 5,000 adult males. Chapter 5 and verse 14 says, More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And then verse 1 of chapter 6 says, The number of disciples was increasing still. So some have estimated as many as 20 or 30,000 believers in the church at Jerusalem. Healthy churches will encounter obstacles. But healthy churches, I say secondly in your outline, overcome those challenges. Now notice in the outline, this is just quickly in passing, but notice I've said obstacles, I've said challenges. I almost never say the word problems. And I have, for some of you, you'll say, you know, we got a problem. No, we got a challenge. And we'll overcome that challenge. And I just encourage you, whatever language you use, to think that way. We will overcome whatever it is. And that's what this church did because it's a healthy church. Healthy churches overcome those challenges. They're able to overcome those challenges because they are spiritually vital, spiritually alive. In fact, I say in your outline, they demonstrate spiritual vitality. Notice what verses 2 through 4 say. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said... Let me, let me just stop there. Gathered all the disciples. That is, everybody who professed Jesus. In the book of Acts, disciple is a synonym for believer. You don't have people who are believers and some of them are disciples. If you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, a learner of Jesus, a disciple. And so the twelve gathered all of the disciples, all the believers, all the Christians together and said it would not be right for us 
to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And so the leaders of the church of Jerusalem make a recommendation, choose seven men. Now, why do they make that recommendation? Because they have their spiritual priorities straight. The church is founded upon the Word of God and its truth. And the Word of God must be studied and taught and preached. The Word of God and prayer are our spiritual priorities, say the leaders of that first church. And we cannot neglect that. But this is something that must be done, and so find seven men, men who are qualified, who can carry out this important ministry. Now, who are these guys that they chose? They're named in verse 5. But the text does not tell us how these men were trained. But verse 2 says, or excuse me, verse 3 says they have to be men who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So they had to have had some kind of spiritual training, mentoring, in order for them to be known for these kinds of qualities. They had to meet the qualifications of being controlled by the Spirit, demonstrating skilled application of their knowledge of the Word. The New Testament letters are explicit that we're to train other men who can share the load of ministry. 1 Timothy 3 gives detailed qualifications for those men, and I believe, their wives as well. And this delegation to and shouldering of the leadership of the church and the carrying out of the ministry of the church among qualified people is so neglected in our churches. And I just want to, in passing, say that's a lesson that we have learned from experience from the past. And when we started our church here, we determined to make it a point to have high standards for those who would be leaders in God's, God's church. When we started this church 11 years ago, I met with a number of seasoned pastors, and I asked them for their advice. If you had anything that you would do over, do differently, now that you're toward the end of your ministry, what would it be? And the most often given answer was, I would have begun training leaders earlier. And so when our church began, right at the very outset of our church, we began to train leaders. And I thank God, thank God, that this church is full of men and women who are spiritually qualified to share in the leadership of God's church. It has benefited us, and it will benefit us going forward as well. So healthy churches overcome challenges. One of the ways they're able to overcome those challenges is because they have a a healthy supply of leadership within the church that is spiritually qualified. They demonstrate spiritual vitality by having their spiritual priorities in place but carrying out other important matters in the church as well, which brings me to the second demonstration of their health. They demonstrate spiritual vitality, but I say in your outline, functional effectiveness also. Verses 5 and 6 tell us this proposal pleased the whole group. And then it tells us they chose these seven men. Now, here's what's important about the names of these seven men being listed. You know, Luke could have simply said, and they chose seven qualified men. But he gives you the names. Why does he do that? In order to show that these are all Greek names. 
This church was not only spiritually vital, but functionally effective. Remember, the problem was the Grecian widows were complaining that they were being treated unfairly. And so to show impartiality, they chose men from among that very group to be part of the distribution of the food to the widows. Now, you take all of this, you put it together. This church is growing, it encounters obstacles, but it addresses those challenges because they are spiritually vital and functionally effective. And that gives rise to a formula that some of you have heard me give in the past. All things being equal, all things being equal, spiritual vitality and functional effectiveness in a church results in continued growth. Spiritual vitality and functional effectiveness will continue to move the church forward. And churches that do that fit the profile of what I say in the third point in your outline. Prevailing churches experience growth. Prevailing churches experience growth. Growing churches will encounter obstacles. Healthy churches will meet those challenges. And churches that prevail overcome those challenges. And prevail will then be churches that experience further growth. And verse 7 tells us that very thing. So the word of God spread. Now do you remember how it began? In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. And implied in the way Luke has put this this story together is a threat to that further advance has now occurred, namely complaint. But that threat is met, that challenge is is met. And as a result of it being met, verse 7, so the word of God continued to spread. Prevailing churches experience growth. And I say in your outline they experience two kinds. Ordinary growth. Because verse 7 says the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So by ordinary, and I have that in quotation marks in your outline, by ordinary I simply mean people being converted to Christ of all shapes and sizes and varieties. The number of disciples, just as it was increasing in verse 1, now continues to increase. And these prevailing churches, because they are healthy churches, also experience an extraordinary kind of growth as well. And you see that in verse 7. The number of disciples increased and a large number of priests came to the faith. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, who's going to come to Jesus through this ministry? They're going to be regular folk of all shapes and sizes and varieties. And then there's just going to be some extraordinary stuff where you just go, I cannot believe what God did. I never thought that person. I never thought that Muslim imam would be converted to Jesus. But that's the equivalent of what's happening here. A number of priests came to the faith. Extraordinary kinds of conversion and growth. So the church of Jesus Christ is going to move forward. The church in general. Absolutely it's going to move forward. There's no doubt about that. How do I, why do I say that with such, with such confidence? Because it was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, I will build my church. There is no doubt that his church will move forward. 
The only question for us is how well and how effectively will this church move forward? And that requires that we be healthy. That requires that we understand that in the history of God's people, there have always been obstacles and challenges to be met. And then if we are healthy, we meet those challenges. I'd like to conclude just by giving some observations, some application then of these, these truths. This did not just occur in the first church at Jerusalem. If you read the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, you find the same kind of thing happening. A spiritual milestone is met and then difficulty. And so you see, for example, God's people coming into the promised land. And you remember they've wandered in the wilderness for, for 40 years. They finally come into the promised land. And what happens? After they've been in the promised land, after that, a whole genera- after that whole entire generation had been gathered to their fathers. When it says gathered to their fathers, it means they died. They went to where their fathers are. And after that whole generation had died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what, nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What a horribly sad commentary. And the question is, why did these kids not learn about the Lord and what he had done for Israel? If you were here last week, you, had, you saw we had risers back here, and we had children on those risers singing. Are those children going to learn of the Lord and what he did for his people? It's not automatic. You know, God takes really seriously sin in the camp of his people the people that he has called out to be his very own the people that he has blessed the people that he has commissioned to carry out his mission through his his church he takes it very very seriously y'all remember now 40 years they wander in the wilderness they go in they they take Jericho the, the first city they encounter they take Jericho They're outnumbered. God gives them this crazy military battle plan. March around the thing seven times. And then at the end, when I give you a shout, you guys remember that? How many of you are up for that? I mean, the truth is, from a human standpoint, this thing's never going to work. Can you hear the complaining and the murmuring? But they did it. And God gives them this marvelous victory in the city of Jericho. And then the Bible tells us their next city to conquer is a small city, Ai. Should be a piece of cake. They suffer a great defeat at Ai. And then the Bible tells us why. Because one guy in the group, a guy named Achan, disobeyed the Lord. He said, You don't take any of the stuff from Jericho with you. Achan decided to hide some bounty that he had taken from the spoils of Jericho. And as a result of that, they suffered this defeat. God says this in the New Testament, a little leaven leavens the entire lump, the entire loaf. Friend, do not think that your sin, do not think that your complaining, your murmuring is isolated. 
do not think that it is of no effect. God has given us warning after warning after warning. I've experienced this. I had the privilege to be involved with our parent church for 16 years. Part of that time, I was called on to lead a building program. I was 29, 30, and for two, the better part of two years, I gave my life to the construction of leading the construction of a new building there. Never nailed any, had a hammer or any of that, thankfully. But I oversaw that effort. By the time we were finished with that, as I recall, that brand new building from the ground up was built for $39 a square foot. And I remember the first service. It was a great time of celebration. It's hard to imagine how anybody could be opposed to what God was doing. But there were. There were people who, a handful of people, who had been opposed to the idea of a building project at all. And they remained opposed even after it was successfully erected. So much so that we put shelves in my office. My office was very small. Pastor Thomas's office was very small, but we put bookshelves in there. The church bought the wood. Guys in the church built the shelves. This group of people made a huge issue out of us spending money on the wood for those shelves. We put valances on the windows. Not expensive valances, just valances. This group of people made a huge issue about us spending money on the valances for the single window in our office. I have another sister church in our area, built a beautiful building several years ago. Last week when we had our celebratory service here, we were mingling. We had a guest here who was part of that church when they built that beautiful facility. And that individual said to me, this reminds me of our first service at such and such church. Now that was intended to be an encouragement and a compliment, and I appreciate that. But it wasn't quite the encouragement it was intended to be because I know what happened with that church after that. That church is probably two-thirds, maybe half of what it was. In about two years after our parent church moved into its building, Pastor Thomas calculated this. I never did. But he said we lost 40% of our congregation. You say, well, isn't it great to the second week of your building for you to have this big downer sermon for us all? Friends, I just I want to warn us now, not later. Why is there always is there often so much trouble after a big project? Why why does it happen? And it does. You can just go over and over and it happens. Why? I've thought about that so much. And here's my answer. I I really don't know. I mean, I don't know succinctly an answer. I'm gonna throw a few things out to you and then we'll We'll finish, okay? But why does it happen? As I've thought about that, you know, there could be all kinds of reasons. Some are that we take the glory to ourselves. And God will not allow that, as we saw last week. Okay, this is His church. This is His accomplishment. We give the praise and the glory to Him alone. And if we do not, He will make sure to humble us. So that's one. Another is, these are big things. And we can just, at the end of the thing, you're just worn out. 
And when you're worn out, you're often irritated. And when you're irritated, disagreements are uh, very easy to arise. Another is that you go into it with a false notion that if you build it, they will come. You know, you just build it and be where just going to start coming. Well, some places that happens. You're a real visible spot and all of that. But you know, if people have put sweat and blood and money into that thing and effort, and then with the, with the carrot at the end that says, if we build it, they will come, and then after the first six months or a year, it's not coming quite the way we thought it was, and we still have to pay the bills on this thing, that can create some discouragement as, as well. When you move into a new facility, there are changes that of necessity, just because of the physical structure, change the way you have to go about things. And sometimes that can create a false impression on the part of some, my church has changed, even though really nothing has changed. I warned about this in the series that I did called Centering on Ministry at the end of of last year. Or there may may be latent issues that now this project serves as a catalyst to come to the surface. Now, why would it serve as a catalyst for latent underlying issues to come to the surface? Here's one guess, and that is, if the church indeed does see an increase, you do see lots of people coming in. It's fully what I expect is going to happen. I've been telling you about that for a while, and we ought to praise the Lord for that. But if you have underlying issues that you have not dealt with, now you see the train leaving the station. And my influence to address those issues is going to be diluted. So I better address them now. I, need to, I have a disagreement, so I have to take my stand soon, or my influence will be lessened. And whenever you undertake something big, you can only do that wisely if you have the overwhelming, nearly unanimous backing of the congregation. And we enjoyed that for our project, and most projects like this I know of fall into that same category. But because they are large issues, it also means that inevitably there will have been a handful who wanted to go a different direction, which is completely fine. And some will have just voted or expressed themselves another way, but they were not vocal and they can leave it at that. But there are some who can't do that. Their pride will not allow them to do that. I was against it, and I'm still against it. And I still have to let everybody know why it was a bad idea and why I was right. At our parent church, we had the overwhelming support of the congregation. We had a wonderful outcome, but we had people who would resort to bookshelves in our offices, valances on the windows. I said at the beginning, last week, we enjoyed a joyous occasion for our congregation. But for, think about being somebody like that. I'm against something, and I can't let it go. Well, then it's not a joyous occasion for someone who thinks we did the wrong thing and cannot let it go. And sometimes people will take an approach that says, the train is leaving the station, so I'm going to take a scorched earth approach to this thing. Well, again, as I said, thanks for scaring us on our second week in the building. But I'm almost done. See, friends, I predict that's not going to happen to us. Not because we're immune, 
Not because indications of these common attitudinal and sin problems will not occur and rear their ugly heads, but rather it's because we are aware of the devil's schemes. And we will identify it when, not if it happens, we will deal with it biblically and we will move on as the first church in Jerusalem did by God's grace. And what will we move on toward? We will move on toward the vision of our 15-year plan. Many of you have seen that. We still have a few years left in that 15-year plan. God has allowed us to make progress every year toward those goals. And if you don't know what that is, I encourage you to come on March 17 and March 24 to our, one of our two servant seminars. Same seminar, offered twice, come to either one. It's from 4.30 to 8 o'clock on a Sunday evening, and we will go over our 15-year plan and the things we're going to do this year by God's grace in order to move us in that direction. Now take a look at your take-home truth. Healthy churches grow. Those healthy churches overcome. And as a result, they continue to grow. By God's grace, may that be the case for us. Let's ask his blessing. Father, we thank you for bringing us to this milestone event. We thank you for bringing us, as it were, to the banks of the Jordan and allowing us this great victory, this milestone, designed to further your fame and your world. But Lord, you have issued warnings to us. We see it in the history of your people. Help us, Lord, to be wise. Help us to be wise as we look. Help each of us to be introspective as we look. Help none of us to be Achan. Help none of us to be the leaven. And together may, may we move forward as your church in your mission for your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.